Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Lake Mount Worship Center, and we are on a mission to connect young adults to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can find more information on our socials, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the message for this week. Right. Got some preacher's wife worship going on there. All right, everybody doing good? Yeah, Yeah, me too. Thanks for asking. All right, this time last week we were in Florida. That was always a good decision. And now we're here. It's also a good decision. It's good to be back. And uh, I want to get into the Word of God tonight. Someone was asking me on the way in, should I bring my Bible on a Monday night? And the answer is, heck, yes, you should. So if you actually have, uh, you know, an analog Bible like this, you get bonus points when you go to heaven. I don't know. That's probably not true. But um, seriously, like, it's good to actually carry a Bible. And, you know, it's less distracting, I think, than other versions of Bibliotech. So that's French for Bible technology. Um, So... All right, we're going to get into God's Word tonight. Uh, a few weeks back, I was uh, preaching here, um, and I preached on the woman who was uh, bleeding for 12 years from Mark chapter 5. Anybody remember that? You guys were here? I want to pick up where we left off there uh, in that text because uh, we're kind of just digging into this theme of the, the reach of faith and how to step out on faith. A couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Lisa uh, preached on Bartimaeus and how he cried out to Jesus in faith and um, you know, we just we want to just kind of keep building on that. But the story that we were looking at, uh, you know, in, in Mark 5 about the woman who she was bleeding for 12 years. Again, just a quick recap. She had this, you know, uh, you know, basically she just had a menstrual cycle that just never stopped. And so she was ceremonially unclean. She was uh, spent all she had on doctors. She just, you know, she, she had a major problem in every category of life. But she had a thought. Somebody say she had a thought. She had a thought in the presence of God. That's where we've been zeroing our attention in. She had a thought in the presence of God. Thoughts that come to you in the presence of God that move you toward him is what we call faith. But faith doesn't just remain at a thought level. It has to be produced into action. Just believing right isn't actually Bible faith, in case you're wondering. And if you want the scripture on that, that's James 2. It's not my text tonight, but this is just for free. And if you're taking notes, which is always a good idea, you can write these references down. James chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, James says, this, what good is it if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? Later in, in verse 18, he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons in hell believe that and shudder. What's James saying? He's saying if you just have a right belief system, you don't have functional faith. You don't have Bible faith. He's like, even demons in hell believe in God. So that's, that's like, you're not scoring bonus points like, I believe. Cool. What are you doing with what you believe? And so this woman had a thought. She did something. There was a thought of faith, but faith just left as a thought actually isn't faith. It's, it's like... It's like a seed that's left on the table. It needs to be put in the soil. It needs to be acted on. She had a thought. What if I touch? If I touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be healed. And she acted on that thought, that God thought, in the presence of the Lord. When she acted on it, she immediately felt healing go through her body. And Jesus immediately felt healing go through his pant legs. Okay? He's like, what was that? Right? And so he's, he's asking what's going on. And he waits until she tells her testimony. Now that story from Mark 5, get in your Bibles and go over to Mark chapter 5. That story is actually, it's a kind of a two-parter because it begins, that, that, that series of, of scriptures that I'm talking about from Mark 5 begins with a synagogue ruler, that's a, a Jewish religious leader who comes and he asks Jesus to lay his hands on his daughter because his daughter, who's 12 years old, is sick to the point of death. And so he says, would you come and lay hands on my daughter? And, and Jesus says, yes. And on the way to Jairus' house, that's the name of the guy who's the synagogue ruler, on the way to Jairus' house 
is the whole exchange that I preached on a couple of weeks ago that we were just recapping right now. While he's on his way to Jairus' house, that woman has an idea. She's like, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. She reaches out, touches him, feels power go through her. Jesus stops and insists on a testimony. She has to tell everybody what happened. And Jesus just wanted that testimony to get in the room. I want us to pick up our reading from there. Okay, I want us to, to pick up our reading in Mark chapter 5 and look at what happens next. In Mark chapter 5, it says this in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, to who? To the lady. Woman, your faith has healed you. So I just I want you to picture it. He's on his way to Jairus' house. A woman has just snuck a miracle out of his pant leg. He's wanting the testimony to be shared with everybody. She shares the testimony. He says to her, you know, woman, go in faith. You're healed. And while he's still speaking, verse 35, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, I want us to just take a few moments tonight, and if you are taking notes, I want you to write down how to build an atmosphere of faith. That's what I want to teach you guys on tonight. How to build an atmosphere of faith, a culture of faith, an atmosphere of faith. We all live in an atmosphere. Naturally speaking, Earth's atmosphere is composed of about 78% nitrogen. And if you're wondering, yes, I Googled it, okay? So 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.9% argon, and then 0.1% other gases, okay? So, so we live in this atmosphere that actually allows us to live. That's an atmosphere. What, what is it? it it's it's the, the gases that are invisible to our eye that actually promote our existence and enable us to live, that we can breathe and exist on this atmosphere. If I put you on an Elon Musk rocket and sent you to Mars, if you didn't have a suit and you somehow got there you know, within this lifetime, if you got out to Mars, you would step off of you know, Elon Musk's little Tesla spaceship and you would choke to death. Why? Because you don't have the right atmosphere there. If you, if you reduce the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere and you increase the amount of carbon monoxide, again, another invisible reality, but if you increase the carbon monoxide where you're breathing, you could die. An atmosphere, I'm not, I'm not here to give you a science lesson on atmosphere, okay? An a I'm using it as an analogy, and we often use the idea of atmosphere you know, like you go to a restaurant and at 6 o'clock, you know, they dim the lights. Hey, it's, it's atmosphere for dinner. Can we talk about atmosphere? I want to I talk to you about building an atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere that actually is conducive for God to work in your life. How many think that could be helpful? Like, how do I build an atmosphere in my life? Five of us feel like that could be helpful. Everyone else, just tune in. You might get something useful, Okay. How many think it could be useful to figure out how to build an atmosphere? Okay, we're increasing the numbers. All right. So, so we want to learn how to breathe in an atmosphere, live in an atmosphere where God can move easily in our lives. And that atmosphere is faith. There are, there are things in your life, okay? There, there are things in your life that can be helpful to your walk with God, and there are things that can be detrimental to your walk with God. There are behaviors and actions that can actually promote spiritual growth in your walk with Jesus and things that can actually slow you down and shrink you. Jesus said this, again, not my text, Matthew 18, verse 18. He said, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. Like, what does, what does that even mean? Jesus is saying that through your actions and your agreements, on earth, the things that you do and agree with here on earth can actually open and close things in the atmosphere spiritually over your life. Your actions, your agreements, okay? Agreement creates an atmosphere. Argument creates an atmosphere. I remember, I remember years ago, I, I, I had a friend who... Um, 
told me that, uh, you know, he, he did like martial arts and all this stuff. He's a pretty cool guy. And um, he was telling me about when he was, he was a bouncer for a little while. And he said one of the things that they taught him to do if there was, some, you know, someone that was causing trouble or they could just tell this guy's about to cause some trouble, about to cause a ruckus, they, they would go and they would put the guy on the ground. And they would say loudly while they put, put the guy on the ground and, you know, roll him over and put his hands behind his back. And the whole time they're doing it, they would be yelling loudly, stop resisting my lawful commands. And what were they doing? They were with their words telling you what you were seeing. Suggesting to you a way to interpret what was happening. And so in order to take charge of someone that was going to cause trouble and a whole room get crazy, they knew that if they just manhandled somebody and people saw it, they'd be like, stop it, he's not doing anything, leave him alone, don't. Okay? And then even the girls would get involved. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, there was, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so they would say, leave him alone, Right? And so what they would do is they, they, were, they were trained to announce, stop resisting my lawful commands. And what they were doing is that with their words, they were releasing words into the atmosphere that shaped people's perception of what they were seeing. Which is like 98% of the news nowadays as well. No one just tells you what's happening. They're telling you what to think about what's happening. It's editorialized. Okay. And so, so they, would, they would frame reality with words. Jesus said you can frame reality with what you bind and loose. Your words and your agreements and your actions become contracts into a spiritual realm that you don't see. But in the same way you don't see oxygen, you know it's there. There's a spiritual reality all around us. And we can actually open and close things over our lives, okay? So arguments affect atmosphere, and agreement affects atmosphere. There are relationships that you have that are pushing you towards Jesus. And there are relationships that you have that are pulling you away from Jesus. There are people that are pouring fuel on your walk with God, and there are people that are throwing a wet blanket on your walk with God. There are actions that you're engaging in, behaviors that you're engaging in, that will fuel and, and, and burn in your heart a deeper love for Jesus. And there are also actions and behaviors that you're engaging in that are quenching your spirit and the spirit of God in your life. What we bind on earth is bound in the spiritual realm. What we loose on earth is loosed in the spiritual realm. Our actions and behaviors start to create an atmosphere over your life. Building a culture with your actions. Building a culture. There, there are things that are happening, things that you're doing. Like the more, the more that you engage in lustful behavior, the more that you release that into the atmosphere over your life. sexually immoral behavior, the more you engage in it, the more it just becomes what kind of hovers over you. The more that you engage in worship, the more that you release the presence of God into your life. God inhabits the praises of His people. Why would I leave that to you once a week on a Monday? I throw God a dime and come on Sunday too. See, I, I could... Engage in things that are going to fuel me and push me toward the Lord and build an atmosphere for the activity of God in my life to be more regular. Or I can do things that will actually quench the activity of God in my life and fuel things that are pulling me in the wrong direction. So I think it could be helpful to learn how to build an atmosphere of faith. How to build an atmosphere where it's easy for God to move in my life. And so we're looking at the story of, of Jairus we're talking about the woman who had the bleeding condition. She gets her miracle. And in the time that it took her interruption and her testimony, in that time that it took 
some people come from Jairus' house. He's a synagogue ruler. Some people come from Jairus' house. We just read it. And they say to Jairus, your daughter is dead. That was a fact. She had died. But then they, they offer a next step beyond the facts to Jairus. They don't just tell him the facts. They tell him what to believe about those facts. Stop resisting my lawful commands. They project into his experience the way they think he should handle it. Your daughter is dead, so don't bother Jesus anymore. That's what they said. There are relationships in your life that are saying, hey, it's over. Pull back from Jesus. Prayer didn't work. Talking to Jesus didn't work. Trying it God's way didn't work. Come with us. That's what's happening here. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. They provide details, but then they also color it in with a narrative. Your daughter's dead. It's over. Stop believing, and now you're bothering Jesus. Now you're annoying. Your prayer is annoying. Now you just need to just accept Reality sounds wise, doesn't it? Sounds like, you know, hey, your daughter's dead. Just embrace reality, bud. It's over. Come with us. These are not men of faith. These are men of facts. Facts change. Truth remains. Facts can change all the time. And as you're going to see in this story, the fact that she was dead, it was just a fact. It changed. The facts can change, but the truth will always remain. There's a difference between facts and truth. Truth never changes. Facts can change. Step outside, it's raining. Does that mean it's always that way? No. It was raining, that was a fact. Now it's sunny. Not now. Don't go check outside. Like, this guy's crazy. It's not sunny. It's 8.30. Okay. And so... These guys speak their unbelief into the atmosphere. And so what did Jesus do? We're going we're gonna to dig into this. I'll try to move faster. I'm just trying to set it up for you guys. Jesus, I, I want us to look at the things that Jesus teaches us to do and how to build an atmosphere of faith into our lives. So verse 36, back in the text. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. First key that you need, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first key that you need to build an atmosphere of faith is you need to ignore unbelief. What does Jesus do first? He ignores what they say. That's bigger than it sounds. Some guys took, took a journey on themselves, wanted to come and tell you, hey, just in case you're wondering, you don't have to bother coming to Jairus' house anymore. The girl's dead. Stop bothering Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even, like, if you have this version of Jesus where he's all nice and friendly, handing out cookies and milk, like Jesus is, like, he just ignores them. He just came on a journey. They're bringing bad news. And he's like, thanks, guys. That must have been really hard. He's just like, pfft. Turns to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. So the first thing you need to write down is ignore fear and unbelief. Jesus ignored them. Jesus ignored them, and he spoke a better word. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. The more that you listen to something, the more it becomes a part of you. Last week, we, we were in, uh, in Florida. And, and uh, Joey and Levi and I took a, one day, we went to um, Hollywood Studios, the, the Disney park for adults with Star Wars and stuff like that, where grown men basically live in Comic-Con the entire time and pretend that they are actually like part of the Star Wars movie. It's really cool to see. You should go. Don't take pictures of anything but those people. Just like, hey, are, are, do you work here? No, they get flattered when you say it. No. Okay. So we did all the cool rides, and then we're just like, okay, we're here for the whole day, so let's try this. So we go to this Mickey Mouse ride. There's this Mickey Mouse ride. And on the Mickey Mouse ride, he's got a theme song, and they play the theme song from the time you enter the ride while you wait in the queue, while you're on the ride, and then when you leave, you hear this song. And the song goes, nothing can stop us now. That's my Mickey Mouse personation, okay? And that song will get stuck in your head 
like for life. Like it's, 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 in, it's like baby shark. Like it's, it's trapped in there. And you just like, you hear that tune, you know, I think it's not. Anyway, it, it just gets stuck. The more you think on something, the more it can get stuck and become a pattern of thought. Once something gets in your head, you, 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 you can't stop. So something, hear me, something is going to dominate your thoughts. So here's an idea, choose wisely. Something is going to dominate your thoughts. Something's going to dominate the way that you think. Your first instinct can be an instinct toward faith or it can be an instinct toward fear. You can move toward the facts or you can move toward faith. And you're like, well, I don't want to be an idiot that's in denial of facts. I'm not saying be in denial of facts. Just be in denial of letting facts shape the way that you live by faith. I can't deny the facts, but I can deny them the influence to change the way I believe God. And these guys come along and they say, your daughter's dead, you're bothering the teacher, and Jesus ignores them. That's great advice. So if you, if you want to build an atmosphere of faith, you need to ignore unbelief. You need to ignore it. And you, you, you need to, secondly, you need to get a word from Jesus. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. That, that's a better word. I mean, if you're going to choose one, you, you're going to. Here's the thing. You're going to choose a word. It doesn't seem like it. When someone comes and says, your daughter is dead, it seems like there's nothing else to feel but all the sadness, grief, and whatever. But when Jesus says something else, you do have a choice. Lean into what Jesus says. You're going to choose anyways. So, so choose to lean towards what Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Something's going to dominate your thoughts, so choose wisely. Choose wisely what you agree with, what you bind on earth and, and bind in the heavens, what you loose on earth in your actions and, and loose in the heavens. And so, so the, the, the text says that he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37, he did not let, let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailedly, wailing loudly, or wailedly, I don't even know what that is, wailing loudly. Wailedly is just wailing loudly, all is one word, okay? So, so Jesus gets to the house where a girl has just died, and there's this commotion. Everyone is wailing loudly. Now, part of that is some authentic grief. Part of it is first century Jewish grief culture, where literally there were professional wailers. And I don't mean like the backup band for Bob Marley. I mean like people that like their job. Imagine your job was to cry professionally. That's, that's what was, that was what was happening. Jesus shows up and he said to the father, don't be afraid, just believe. He takes a couple of disciples with him and they, and they get to the house and everyone is just losing it. Just, just, and there are people, they're paid to do it. Can you, like, how do you apply for that job? Are you any good? Am I any good? <laughs> Watch out. Grab a Kleenex box. <laughs> right? People cried for a living. They show up at a funeral and just be like, who is it? I don't know. <laughs> they just cried. For, like, and I don't know, do you negotiate more pay with more tears? I don't know how it works. There's this commotion. Can everyone... Is, is wailing. Everyone is spazzing out. And they fill the atmosphere with wailing and tears. So there's, there's already, in the atmosphere, there is the report that the daughter is dead. Then into the atmosphere, there's wailing and tears. And there are people saying, you're bothering Jesus now. Just accept it the way that it is. But what does Jesus do? He ignores the unbelief and fear. And then he shows up and he speaks to the commotion. Verse 39. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. So like I said, the second thing that you need is to get a word from Jesus. She's not dead. She's asleep. Now, here's the deal. I've said this to you before, but when Jesus speaks, he has no opinions. When Jesus speaks, he creates. God has no opinions. What he says is the way it is. And so we have to learn how to anchor ourselves to what he says, despite the temptation to think and feel 
otherwise. When he speaks, things come in line with what he says. So it's, it's really important when you find yourself like Jairus in a crisis moment. It's really important. This is just for free. But it's really important that you don't conflate your optimism or your desire with the voice of God. Because a lot of people derail their faith because they claim God has spoken where he hasn't. And then if something doesn't work out according to their optimism, they feel like God lied. And the reality is they took his name in vain. Meaning what? They just said what they hoped would happen and said this is from God. And so it's really important that you don't conflate your optimism with the voice of God. But at the same time, okay, at the same time when God speaks, you need to set your faith on what he says. And so Jesus steps into, and I just want you to picture it. He steps into a funeral for a child. It's just happened. People are wailing. Professional mourners are just clearing their throats. Like, they haven't even made the sandwiches yet. Like, it is fresh. And Jesus rolls in and says, what are you guys all crying about? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And verse 40 says, they laughed at him. Now that tells you, the people's hearts were not with the grieving family. That tells you that people were just playing the part. They were not really grieving. They were, they were just there. You know, we're just here for moral support. We're not really feeling this. Jesus says, the girl's not dead. She's just asleep. And people start laughing. That's pretty insensitive. Right? They're, just, they're, they're, they're laughing. They shifted gears quick. They went from wailing and tears to laughing. And mockery. And so it's easy for you to say amen when I tell you that you need to get anchored to a word from Jesus. It's harder to be anchored to a word from Jesus and put that into practice when everybody's laughing at it. Because the Bible says they all laughed. They were all laughing, going, <laughs> okay, buddy. I don't know if you've ever seen a dead person before, but <laughs> she's not sleeping. We're not stupid. We didn't hire professional whalers for a nap. So look at the, verse, the rest of verse 40 in your Bible. Look at the rest of it. After he put them all out. I love how it just says this is what happened, but it doesn't really tell you how Jesus did it. It just says Jesus kicked everybody out of the house. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. That's Peter, James, and John. He took them with him and went into where the child is. The third thing that you need to do to build an atmosphere of faith is that you need to remove unbelievers from spectating. Jesus kicked them out of a funeral. That's a boss move. Like Jesus shows up to a funeral and he's like, out. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And they're like, whatever. And she's like, get out. And they're like, you can't do that. But he's got mom and dad standing there with him. So he's like, yes, I can. Get out. People are so set on grief that the idea of revival is a joke to them. The very thought of resurrection is a laugh to them. They're set on having an unhappy ending. And so they mock the very idea of revival and resurrection. And so Jesus removes them from that atmosphere. He just says, you guys just need to leave. Because arguments can affect outcomes. What you welcome around you in, in the moment where you need faith, what you welcome around you can affect outcomes. And so he put them all out. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the child was. The fourth thing that you need to do is you need to build a small group of faith-filled agreement. That's what you need to do. You need to get a small group. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Jesus didn't even take all of his disciples. Can you imagine being one of the other disciples? You come back, what happened? Jesus raised the girl from the dead. Why didn't he take us? I don't know. <laughs> I believe. I could, have, I could have totally believed for a resurrection. I don't know. Jesus didn't bring you along for the field trip, so you missed it. Jesus didn't even take all the disciples. And then all the friends and family and professional whalers that are there, Jesus just kicks them out of the room. And he, he takes Peter, James, and John, guys that have been with him in powerful moments of prayer, guys that he's pouring himself into particularly. He's pouring, him into, pouring himself into 12 guys. But those three, he gives a little extra, and those guys give back a little extra. So he brings them on the field trip, and he brings them in. He, listen, he didn't bring the crowd. He didn't bring all the disciples. He brought a hand-selected small group of faith-filled people. 
Can I just tell you guys something? Some of you are wasting time looking for compliments and sympathy on the internet. You're wasting time looking for validation from a crowd. The crowd is never with you. And you're trying to get validation for your feelings. You process out loud on the internet. And you don't feel better after. Of course you don't. It's like going to school in your underwear. It's just embarrassing. You, you just have overexposed yourself. And you're, you're waiting for likes and validation and sympathy and comments. And, I'm so sorry, girl. I can't believe that happened to you. And you're waiting for stuff to come back. And it's a waste. You don't need a crowd. Hear me tonight. You don't need a crowd. You need a faithful few. You don't need everyone hashtagging on your behalf. You need a small but faithful group that are with you heart and soul that will actually pray for you, not just say hashtag praying. People that actually will pray. And so I love what Jesus does next. Verse 41, he took her by the hand. He says to her, Talitha kum, because Jesus spoke a different language than English. Spoiler alert, he was a Jew, okay? So Jesus says to him, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up which feels like every subtitle movie I've ever seen in my life. Talitha Koo means, little girl, I say to you, get up. It's like, what? Like, Talitha Koo, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, verse 42, immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. Now, pretend you've never heard that before. Is that amazing or what? So the, the fact is, she's dead. And then Jesus just says, little girl, I say to you, get up. Or if you want to say it quicker, Talitha Kum. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she gets up immediately. Like it's not like some big, like Jesus like, give me an hour, guys. Get a bottle of water. And we're going to pray our faces off in here. And I don't want any doubt and I don't want any unbelief. He just, he just takes charge of the atmosphere. Kicks out the unbelievers. Kicks out the spectators. He, he, he ignores the doubt and the fear. Gets this little group in the room, and he just goes to Lethkum. And immediately, verse 42 says, she got up and started walking around. She's 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they don't know what's up, but he's just come with me. Mom and dad are there. You can imagine how grief-torn they are. And then Jesus just goes to Lethkum. And she gets up and starts walking around. Everyone is astonished. The emoji Bible is the brain popping out the top. Like, just, what? So he, then, okay, they're completely astonished. Verse 43 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's one of my favorite verses because you can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. There's a crowd of angry professional mourners expecting to get paid who just got kicked out by some rabbi. And they're standing, hovering around the building, waiting to come in and be like, we are so sorry that he did that to you. And so Jesus just kicks them out, and they're all standing out there pacing, waiting to see what's going on. And Jesus just says, Talitha Kum, she gets up, and he looks at the mom. He's like, she's probably hungry. You should give her a sandwich, but don't tell anybody. So this girl who was dead is now in the kitchen. Everyone's looking in the windows, and she's eating a sandwich. And they're like, what happened? She's like, Jesus told me not to tell. <laughs> okay. So, like it clearly didn't work telling them not to tell. How do I know it didn't work? Because we're talking about it 2,000 years later. Nobody, nobody could stop talking about it. Don't tell anybody about the dead girl who's eating a sandwich. How's that going to stay quiet, okay? So in this situation, we see that the atmosphere of faith is facilitated by ignoring fear and unbelief, getting a word from Jesus, removing unbelieving spectators, and building a small group of faith-filled agreement. That's, that's powerful. Do you guys have enough juice for me to just give you a couple more? You guys okay? Okay, I'm going to then... Okay, so I want us to keep reading because there's just, there's kind of this juxtaposition. I think there's a little more 
insight that we can get. And you're like, whoa, we're on to another chapter. Spoiler alert, chapters were added later. Verses were added later just so we could find our way around the Bible. It's not as though everywhere Jesus went, he was like, let's make this verse 42, okay, guys? <laughs> verse 42. This, the first part is so important. We'll call it 42A, and then, and then we'll get to 42B, okay? We added the numbers later, so don't lose your mind. Okay, verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left where? He left a crazy miracle. Like a woman has just been healed by touching him, and then he goes to a funeral and shuts it down and, and brings a dead girl back to life, tells her mom, feed her a sandwich and don't tell anybody. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Everybody say hometown. Went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Like in one verse flat, they go from being amazed to being offended. They're amazed like, wow, where did he get this stuff? Isn't he a carpenter? And they go, from, like, that's amazing. How does a carpenter know this stuff? How does he even do miracles? Isn't that his brother? Wait, didn't he build me a table? Hold on a sec. I know his brother. Wait a sec. Who does he think he is? What's up with this guy? They go from amazed to offended in no time. Where? In Jesus' hometown. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I love that a bad day for Jesus is just a few healings. <laughs> right? He couldn't do any miracles except for heal a few sick people. Well, if that counts, I've been on a roll with dead people lately, but... Okay. He could not do many miracles except for lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. If you want Jesus to be amazed at something in your life, don't let it be verse 6. Don't let it be he's amazed that you can't believe anything. Don't let it be that he's amazed. Like seriously, seriously, like the, the miracles, the healing, the wisdom, the teaching, and you're upset because I used to make tables. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And then Jesus went round, teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Okay. Just, how many more keys? Just three simple, quick keys. Number one. Well, it's actually number five because you guys are making a whole list. There's seven altogether. Expect God to, to, to powerfully use people that he hasn't used before. If you want to build an atmosphere of faith, expect God to use people powerfully that he hasn't used before. Or another way of putting it is don't allow familiarity to breed contempt. Do you know why they were offended with Jesus? Because they're like, wait a second, I was in junior high with you. I don't understand why you think you get to teach like this. I don't know where you get the idea that you can do miracles. I know your sister. I remember you. I, I know you as. I remember you when. So can I just say to you, don't look for revival as an exotic event with other people. You're going to miss revival if you think it's some other time, some other place with some other people. That will guarantee that you miss the move of God for your generation. Because you'll, you'll, you'll wish, you will wish you were at Asbury. You'll wish, fill in the blank, wherever you're thinking. You'll wish you were at Bethel. You'll wish that you were, you were at Jesus' culture. You'll wish you were at Jesus' image. You'll wish you were somewhere because hometown thinking will get you going, well, pff, yeah, I know that guy. And you're like, if you think I'm wrong, that's what they did with Jesus. No one here is Jesus, okay? Like, people couldn't wrap their heads around Jesus while he's, like, people are getting healed by touching his pants. A girl comes back to life. 
There's miracles and healings and wisdom, and people are blown away, but they're like, wait a second, I know this guy. So if you want to build an atmosphere of, of faith in your life, you've got to expect God to powerfully use people that he's not used before. Because even Jesus had a first miracle. It's in the Bible. We know what it was. So, so they have to start somewhere. So don't look for revival as an exotic event with other people in another place. Look for it in people that you knew one way, but allow for God to do something in them to change them and be another way. Oh, she used to annoy me. She used to bother me. But, yeah, but now she, God's got his hand on her. There's an authority on her when she leads words. There's an authority on her when she preaches. There's an authority. There's a, there's a grace. There's anointing. There's healing. There's whatever. Like, make room for what God can do in somebody. Jesus' hometown went from being amazed to being offended because they knew Jesus or thought they did. They allowed prior reputation to restrict them from seeing what was happening now. So even though they recognized the anointing, they couldn't allow for it to operate where he was. Verse 5 says, probably a really troubling verse if you actually stop and read it slow. Verse 5 says that he could not do any miracles there. I wish it said did not. I wish it said would not. But it says that he could not. That's, that bugs me. And it's really the impetus of this entire message for you guys. How to build an atmosphere of faith. Why is it important? Because even Jesus could not do miracles in a place that was filled with unbelief. I'm not making it up. I just read it. He could not because of their unbelief. That's what it says. He was amazed at their unbelief. Yes, he healed a few people because, like I said, even a bad day for Jesus is still, you know, Low-grade miracles. But he, but he was amazed at how unbelief and offense shut down the operating of the anointing. And so, based on everything that I was just teaching for the last, you know, 20 minutes, what's Jesus supposed to do now? Kick everybody out of his hometown? Well, based on, based on the first part of this sermon, I guess what you're saying is Jesus should kick everybody out of town. You guys get out of here. I'm here for miracles. No, he obviously he can't kick everybody out of town. So what does he do? He leaves town. He leaves town. So the next thing that you need to do, number six, is you need to move to where faith is unhindered. There, there are atmospheres that can, like I say, can, can shut down faith, and there are atmospheres that can fuel faith. And what you need to do is do what it takes to be in an atmosphere that fuels faith. You, 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 need, to, you need to be in an, an atmosphere where it's like I am being fueled in the possibilities of God. and My faith is constantly being stirred. It's worth a drive. It's worth the gas money. Like to get into an environment where God is building me. It's worth the investment to, to move to where you are unhindered. I'm not saying this to anybody in particular. I'm just saying some of you might need to change your friends. Well, that sounds judgmental. Well, okay. I, I don't know what to say to you. Jesus said to a whole bunch of people, get out. Kick some out of a funeral. And then in his hometown, he's just like, well, this is disappointing. And he leaves. You're like, I wish that Jesus would have just dug in and be like, all right, that's it. Guys, close the doors. We're having a one-month prayer meeting. We're going to turn this town upside down. He didn't. He left. You got to gauge. Can I kick the people out of the room, or do I need to leave? If, if I'm going to stay in faith, if I'm going to build an atmosphere of faith in my life, like, if, if your friend group is always trying to pull you away from Jesus, you might just need to start over. Like, like, I want to pull towards the Lord. And I'm not saying give up on people that are searching. I'm saying people that are actively being like, that's stupid. And people that are curious who are like, yeah, like disciple them, lead them, encourage them. But if, if you're constantly in an environment that's like, why do you believe that? Like, this, this is what Jesus' hometown is like. Who does he think he is? And so Jesus... What we learn there is we've got to move to where our faith is unhindered. The final thing that we need to do, based on this text, the worship team can come, can come, is we need to multiply what is working. 
It's the last thing that you see. What does, what does Jesus do? So he leaves his hometown, and then he lays his hands on his disciples, and he sends them out. He multiplies what's working. He lays his hands on his disciples, and he sends them out. He gives them authority over sickness and demons and says, you guys go do what I've been doing. Jesus refused to let the testimony of no miracles in his hometown spread. He refused to, you know, have a crisis about what happened in his hometown. I can't believe it. I can't do any miracles here. <laughs> What's wrong with me? What's good? He just is like, okay. I can't believe their unbelief. I'm, I'm going to extract myself from here, and I'm going to multiply what's working. These disciples who've been with me for the last three years, watching the miracles and seeing everything that I'm doing, I'm going to lay my hands on them, and I'm going to send them out, and I'm going to multiply what's working so that that testimony where there were not miracles happening in my hometown doesn't start to spread and people start mixing in their unbelief at an increased way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to multiply. I'm going to fan the flames of faith instead of failure. I'm, I'm going to multiply what God has entrusted to me. So in the first situation, we see the atmosphere of faith is cultivated by ignoring fear and unbelief, getting word from Jesus, removing unbelieving spectators, building a small group of faith-filled agreement. In the second situation, the hometown situation, we learn to expect God to move in people that we, that we know. We learn that we need to move to where faith is unhindered. And we learn that we need to multiply what is working. God wants to build an atmosphere of faith over your life, but he's not going to do it for you. He invites us to partner with him. And there's some choices that we need to make so that we can actually build a life of faith where the possibilities of God and we're hearing from God becomes easier. And where, where we're, where, what we're binding on earth and is being bound in the heavens, what we're loosing on earth is being loosed in the heavens. What we're, what we're doing is we're orienting our life towards obedience where it's like the Bible. Like, what I want for you guys, I want you to, like, read the Bible and not think, man, that was so cool. I want you to read that and be like, man, that's going to be so cool when God starts doing that in my life. Instead of reading the Bible, like, isn't it cool to hear all about what the great I used to used to do? I want to hear about the great I am and how he is still the same. And he's still, he's still moving in these ways. He's still using people like you and me. And so it's not for nothing that Jesus removed, like he ignored the fearful report. It's not for nothing that he kicked the whalers out of the funeral. It's not for nothing that he only took Peter, James, and John, and mom and dad into that sick girl's room. That's not for nothing. He's teaching us something about cultivating an atmosphere. It's not for nothing that in his hometown he marvels at their lack of faith. It's not for nothing that the Bible tells us it's because everyone's saying, well, we know this guy from before, and we're not going to let him be amazing. Well, I think we need to, like, when Jesus said only in his hometown a prophet isn't honored, that's not a promise. Like, don't go claiming that. Don't be like, well, I guess if I'm going to do something good for God, I'm going to have to move. Like, that's not a promise to claim. What if we decided we were going to have an atmosphere that we could actually let each other be amazing? Look for the activity of God. Look for God to do something in people that you recognize. Let God do something in somebody that you almost don't recognize them anymore. Like, Wow. He's crazy anointed now. And I respect that. I receive from that. I'm believing for more of that. I'm not looking for revival as some big exotic thing. I'm believing that God wants to do something here with us, people that we know. It's not for nothing that Jesus left that hometown and put his hands on his disciples. It's showing us what we need to do is pull into the atmosphere of faith and keep stewarding it because what you feed will grow. And so what we need to learn to do is to feed the faith that God has placed within us. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want us to pray. I want us to take some time just to seek the Lord tonight and ask for God to stir in us by His Word and by His Spirit. I believe He's already doing it. I, I believe that what God is wanting to get into our hearts and get into our thinking tonight is like a different way of navigating relationships, agreements. Close your eyes. Some, some of you, some of you are realizing, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to make some adjustments to where I'm investing my time because what I'm doing with my time is creating an agreement in the spiritual realm. And I just, I, what I want to do 
is create an atmosphere of faith over my life. I want to be, be a person who loves the presence of God. I want to be a person of worship. I want to be a person of faith. I want to ignore unbelief and fear and press toward the voice of God. Doubts aren't eliminated by willpower. They're eliminated by anchoring yourself to what Jesus says. And Jesus, our supreme example, just shows us in his great humility the way that he navigated atmospheres of unbelief. And I believe God's calling us to build lives that just burn for him, lives that burn in in faith for him, cultivating the attitude in the heart and the lifestyle of faith. So you know what? Let's take a few minutes. We're going we're gonna to just pray. If you want to just uh, get up from where you are, let's, let's just come to the altar and just seek the Lord a bit. Why don't you just come? Let's, let's call on the Lord and ask him to meet with us tonight. Ask him to do something in your heart tonight, to take this word and just drive it deep into your heart. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to take some time to pray here at the front. We're going to take some time to worship. But, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you, Lord, that the living word pierces into our hearts. And, Lord, the way that you're speaking into lives in this room. Lord, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that your word would like a fire just come and burn. Burn away the stuff that needs to be consumed by you. Lord, tear out of us, God, the things that we're holding on to that are holding us back. Father, we want to be those that have an atmosphere of faith over our lives. So show us, Lord, the things that we need to lay down, the things that we need to embrace, the relationships that we need to water and nourish and encourage. Father, I pray that you would cause for this group to be a group filled with people that all we do is stir one another up toward the possibilities of God in our lives. Father, we pray over this place and say that there's no room for that hometown spirit that was operating in Jesus' hometown, that God, we say, Lord, in this room, that, Lord, we're anticipating you to do amazing things through people in this room. We're anticipating, Lord, great anointing and great encounter with you. So, Father, I ask tonight, Lord, that you just raise our eyes, lift our eyes, Lord, to what you're saying, what you're doing, and help us to partner with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's seek the Lord. Let's pray. Let's worship. And let's call on him. Thanks for listening to the Lakemount Young Adults Podcast. For more information, please visit us at lakemount.ca or follow us on Instagram at lakemountya. Have an amazing week and we hope to see you soon.